0: Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Nick Lane. (laughs) So, I think we ought to, um, as someone who patches life up, mine and others, daily, I need to really, it's almost astonishing, but I have to ask you, what life is?
1: (laughs) Well, there is no answer to that. Um, I mean, a lot of people spend a lot of time thinking seriously, trying to define life. So I'm working a lot of the time on the origin of life, and the first question is, so what is life? (laughs) And, um, you know, there are scores of definitions out there, and all of them are bad. (laughs) Which I I find kind of reassuring, really. I mean, it's impossible to define because it's a process (laughs) that's happening over time. And what is living is actually a much better question.
0: Um, as in, to be able to say, this is living, this is not?
1: Yes, it's, it, it's, it's this sense of process over time. So we are really at bottom of a chemical reaction, at a flow of energy. And if you stop that flow of energy, that's the moment of death. So
0: all of life can be defined as... the biology of life can be defined as a chemical reaction a particular set of chemical reactions? With a very particular structure. OK. So if we could think about that structure a bit, and perhaps within the context of... Is it fair to say that a cell, as the house of those chemical reactions, is a necessary defining unit for life?
1: I think that's the case, yes. I mean, there's viruses and there are, you know, jumping genes. There are things which are not cellular, which you could argue about whether they're alive or not. Mm but they need cells to replicate themselves. So if they are alive, they still depend on, on, on cells. And cells are not just a, a kind of a bag of chemicals. Mm. Um, the, it, it's, it's the structure of the thing and the, and, and the boundary, the membranes around it, and what happens across those boundaries. Um, that's really what life is about at the level of the chemistry. It's that structure. That's, that,
0: that. Frontier between the inter- the inside
1: and the outside of the cell. And
0: what happens across
1: it? <coughs> we, ha- we, in, in, cells, we we have in inside ourselves. We we have these power plants called the mitochondria. Before we get to yes. the mitochondria, before we
0: before we do, and we will yes. get to yes. the mitochondria.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to give a sense of the the, the scale of the charge D- on just
0: about things. cells though. Let's yes. think about the cells a bit here. So, so if if I were to think about. Um, Complex life, bacteria, yeah. these yeah. are all cells are the constituents. So just tell us what a cell is.
1: Well, at its simplest level, um, a bacterium is a cell. Uh, they can be just a, you know, a sphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes they're, 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 they're kind of short tubes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, inside, the inside is very different to the outside. Inside, there's the DNA, which is the genetic code. And there's, uh, it's basically a gel inside. <laughs> it's not just a solution. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the power is all going on across that membrane. Mm-hmm. Now, we have these same things inside our cells, own cells. Yeah. Our cells are maybe 100,000 times larger than a bacterium in, in their volume. And they're packed full of all kinds of amazing structures. Um, and not it, just our cells, the cells. So the cells of tree,
0: trees, yes. human life, animal life, different from bacterial cells
1: if you were to look at one of your own cells just take a kidney cell yep. uh, down the microscope and look at the cell of a mushroom yep. you, know, you would probably be able to tell the difference but uh, I, you know, a lot of people yeah. would struggle i would yes. certainly yes. struggle and i spend a lot of my time looking at cells down microscopes they they're astonishingly similar they have the same structure so you look at a plant cell and it's got a nucleus where the DNA is it's got all kinds of internal <laughs> membranes it's got the whole same set of structures, and that's pretty weird because a tree you know it lives in quite a different way. <laughs> so if we
0: talk about cell um, cells and life as opposed to just chemicals, yeah c- c- cellular life has been on this planet for four billion years four billion things, years yes and in that time, the majority of that time was about simple cellular life, so prokaryotic so bacteria, like yes, yes. how much of that 4,000
1: well, billion years? Well, about half of it or so. So just for, for, for two billion years or more, maybe maybe two and a half billion years, it was just bacteria. Hmm. And then for another billion years after that, we see, we see these complex cells hmm. not as parts of Large organisms like ourselves, but just single cells in the oceans, like an amoeba that swims around and engulfs other cells. Um, that went on like that for another billion years. I mean, these numbers are kind of difficult How do you to know comprehend. That? How do we
0: know these times?
1: Uh, really, from the fossil record. Right. I mean, there are fossils of single cells. Right. Um, so. We go back to the what's called the Cambrian Explosion, which is when we see the first animals really in the fossil which record. Which was when? Which is half a billion years ago, so okay. 500 million years ago. And before that there are a few peculiar things called the Ediacaran fauna, which are they look a little bit like leaves almost. They're kind of frond-like flats. Okay. People think perhaps they were a bit like jellyfish. And before that there's nothing. There's no large animals. But if you really scrutinise the rocks it turns out there's lots of bacteria, and there are a few large complex eukaryotic cells, things like amoeba. We do see them there from you know, 1.3 million years ago.
0: So the shift from bacterial or prokaryotic life to eukaryotic complex cells marked you know, the beginning of, I suppose, history, in terms of evolutionary history, is that fair?
1: Um, it's fair at the level of, of organisation that we are interested in as yeah. human beings which is to say animals and plants yep. and so on. In terms of all the stuff that makes up a cell, that mm. makes a cell work, mm. um, all of that happened... Well, it happened amazingly quickly. So bacteria, that level of organisation seems to have you know, emerged really early, four billion years ago. Then you have this tremendously long period, and then you get this great step up to the level of organisation of our own cells, not as an organism, but as a cell, with all of these parts... And again, it seems to have happened really quickly. You mean in terms of the, in that vast span
0: of time, the intervals over which these steps happen?
1: You have brief. hundreds of millions of years, a kind of a rhythmic beat of, in, in, measured in hundreds of millions. And then in the space of potentially a couple of million years, boom.
0: <laughs> so two points there that just seem interesting. One, <clears throat> the transition from bacterial life to more complex life, what that transition was. And you've written about... You've written about your work is a, a lot about what it's that about transition exactly that. was, and, and, and it seems to be a largely difficult to answer question, um, or, or maybe, maybe not, maybe you can give me the
1: answer. It's, but it's difficult to prove one way or another. <coughs> I mean, lots of people have all kinds of ideas about how it could happen, but it's difficult to say this one's right and this one's wrong.
0: Well, could you say a bit about that and also say a bit then of what seems to me the step that precedes that, of where just chemicals um, become cells.
1: So, my perspective on all of this is uh, is to do with energy and this this flow of energy, and the weird way in which our own cells actually work. Because you would think it would be just chemistry. But actually, what we do in our our mitochondria, if I may come back to that... Um, So these are the power plants in cells, and and it's where we're burning food in oxygen. And rather than simply having a chemical reaction going on, what we're doing is we're saving the energy from that reaction. Uh, And we're using that energy then to power everything else that we do. But the way that we're saving it is as a charge on that membrane. So what we're actually doing is we're pumping protons across the membrane. and so you have a difference. It's like a, 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 you know, an electric uh, dam or something, um, hydroelectric dam. We have a lot of protons on one side, like water. We have very few on the other side. And then the flow back down um, powers everything that the cell does. And it's a very small charge. It's, uh, it's 150 millivolts across You mean the, the potential chamber. difference? Right, The okay. potential difference, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, but if you were to shrink yourself down to the size of, say, an oxygen molecule or something, the, the, the field strength, the actual charge that you would feel down there, is equivalent to a bolt of lightning. It's, it's about 30 million volts per meter. And that's the charge that we have, you know, hundreds of mitochondria in our cells, and all of them have got a charge like that. So all mitochondria right are doing that? Yes.
0: Drawing protons, natural heavy particles, across the membrane and generating energy?
1: Yes. Right. And that's what bacteria do as well. They do it across their external membrane, but they're doing exactly the same thing. So this is one weird thing about all of life. Mm. It's not very surprising to say that a bacterium has DNA and it has genes and the code is the same. Um, but it's fairly strange to say that we're all basically electrical in the sense that we all have this similar charge across a membrane. So where did that process...
0: It just, you know, a couple of, after we first spoke a couple of months ago, I came out of my front door... It, it was autumn, and there was a spider's web lit by dew. spider in the mm-hmm. middle. And it just... I'd not long spoken to you about you know charges and things. And then I looked at this and thought, well, I, this doesn't seem... Um, I don't care how many thousands, millions of years it took, but the idea that from cells, from, from chemistry we get to this, just feels extraordinary.
1: Just but even the leap
0: before that, from chemicals to cells, what is that process? So. I can accept you've got charges going across mitochondria,
1: which... Well, what, 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 what it's doing in the mitochondria is we've basically internalised this entire system. So the mitochondria started out as bacteria. And they had their own genes, and those genes control the whole thing. Um, and they became specialised. And they lost most of the genes that they don't need, and they kept only a handful that they do. And so what you actually have, really, is multibacterial power without the overhead. So, bacteria don't have mitochondria? No, they don't have mitochondria. Right. So, that just remains. And if you try to, you know, if you imagine swelling up this, this bacterium 100,000 fold up to the size of one of our cells mm-hmm. and try to calculate, well, you know, how much energy would it have? I mean, it's a slightly mad thing to do, but um, you, you end up calculating that because it's breathing across its membrane, across the, its surroundings, then it, it ends up with. with constraints that it's got a much larger volume relative to its surface area and that really constrains bacteria it stops them becoming large and complex we've just put these things inside ourselves which means if we want to become larger we just have more of them and each one is a kind of a unit which can control its, itself locally but
0: i'm not <laughs> i'm still unclear as to what happen, where we go from chemistry yes so i can you know and the chemistry that I could happily draw as an equation once, yes. and now, that is now a, uh, a living cell, unless you're saying to me that that's an artifactual separation and in fact the cell is chemistry.
1: Well, I think there's, there's, there's two things, and I'm only talking about wh- one of them here. One of them is, is, uh, is, is natural selection and genes and information, which... Um, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. All of the amazing things about the spider in the web is entirely to do with natural selection. And, and you need DNA information. for that. So you need, need, DNA need DNA for that. You need a lot of DNA for yeah. that. You need a lot of selection for that. Yeah. Um, but it seems to be you know, relatively easy in the sense that once you've, once you've got these large complex cells, we have multiple origins of complex. Organisms, plants arose separately from fungi, which arose separately from some seaweeds, which arose separately from uh, from animals. And within the animals, you have all these different groups. Once, once you've got this fundamental complex building block, it's like a a really complex brick. It seems to be possible to do do almost at the level of the cell. Yes, it seems to be possible to build more or less anything from a, a, a basic set of principles. But then the weird thing is that, well, bacteria can't do that. The brick is the wrong kind of brick, and all you can build with it is another bacterium. <laughs> so, so the question is then, what happened two billion years ago when the brick changed? And, and, and what happened was, effectively, we, put, we, we brought in all these bacterial bricks, got rid of the... Overheads use them as a power source, and that just allowed us to swell up our genomes mm. so that we have as much information as we need for whatever it is that we do.
0: Did we need cells for... Did, could, nat- could natural selection... Would, d- would DNA mm. function without cells? Is, is, could you have DNA, or is that a, is that a parallel process, um, DNA and in the, in the cell?
1: I suppose it would be possible for us to engineer, I mean, we, you know, people, people have stored the works of Shakespeare as DNA, um, but then you need someone to kind of get the information out again. I think it would be basically impossible, as we were saying before, about the requirement for cells. Viruses are not cellular, they are DNA, um, but they need cells, they need energy. I mean, it's, it's a statement of the obvious that, that, you know, life requires energy to do things. And what's been kind of overlooked, I think, in, in our obsession and a reasonable obsession with, with information is uh, where's the power to, to make that information work coming from? Mm. And, and that's this perspective on well, what actually happened over four billion years of evolution? Life starts really early, then it gets stuck. Mm. And it's because of the power supply that it got stuck. And as soon as that's lifted, as soon as you, as soon as you have your power packs inside, Without those overheads, the brick changes. You become a, a large, complex cell that's capable of doing almost anything imaginable.
0: And although the brick changes, was the brick inevitable? No. The, right. So, so we, it's not to say that, given the right conditions, the right energy, the right molecules, that you would a, arrive at, albeit a primitive brick. That mightn't. It appears like to have
1: a been a bit of a freak accident. In what way? In the sense that what it required is as simple as, as um, really one cell getting inside another cell, one bacterium getting inside another bacterium. The mitochondria. The, and inside. the bacteria that get yeah. inside become the mitochondria. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's, it's conceptually extremely simple. But bacteria are very small, they don't have much space. They've got a wall around them, which basically prevents anything mm. getting in. And then it's, it's, um, it's a very difficult situation if you. If you're a bacterium and you've got other cells living inside you and they've got their own agenda, mm. um, it becomes really... It's almost like a—it's it's like inhabiting the same room uh, for, for millennia with mm. the same people. I mean, it's uh, Sartre's it's definition of hell, That's isn't awful, it? Yeah. <laughs>
0: But so, that, so, so the eukaryotic cell wasn't inevitable. There was an accident there in terms of the, the mitochondria being contained. Yes. But what about just bacteria? Were they inevitable?
1: I think that, yes, there's, there are driving forces. I mean, again, it's, it's, I, I hate to bang on about energy all the no, time, no, but it's, <laughs> yeah. it, it's, um, it's, again, this structure that is happening across the membrane. It's yeah. not... It's not what's happening inside. It's, it's, and and that's, uh, there are environments on the early Earth, in fact, still today. Deep sea. Deep sea, hydrothermal vents. Just
0: talk a bit about those, because that's fascinating.
1: Well, I mean, there are different types of these vents. But the, the ones that uh, I think are the most exciting, uh, they're, they're called alkaline mm. hydrothermal vents. But what, it's actually a chemical reaction mm. um, between rock and water. Mm. There's nothing to do with volcanoes or lava mm. or anything. Um, it's simply rocks derived from the upper mantle, so peridotite and things like that, will react with water. If you put it in a bucket of water, you'll get a bubble next week if you're lucky. But you know, increase the pressure and the temperature and you'll get a lot of bubbles. And those bubbles are hydrogen. Um, and, the, and you'll find that it, it becomes very, very alkaline. It becomes like a soda lake or something over time. And, and this is all happening underneath the sea floor. Now? Now, yes. Um, and these, <coughs> these, these reactions of water... Per- water percolates down underneath the seafloor by about seven kilometres or something. Mm-hmm. So these reactions are happening in the rocks underneath, mm-hmm. and they're giving off these fluids, mm-hmm. alkaline, uh, and, and bubbling with hydrogen gas. Mm-hmm. And when they get back up to the seafloor, they react with the... You know, the, the ocean water has a different chemistry, and they, they react, and they form these amazing vent structures, which can be 60 metres tall, I mean, mm-hmm. 20, 20-story building or something. Mm. Um, and inside, they're like a sponge. Mm. And those, the, the holes of the sponge, the pores in the sponge, are very similar to the size of cells, and they have an amazingly similar structure to them. Mm. And what you end up with, in effect, is, uh, is, is, a, is a population of cell-like structures with very thin, inorganic walls around them with lots of protons on one side and none on the other side. So you, you've got a situation which is a, a, so that's very analogous. That, you
0: can, you yes, can, yes. So that, so that your description. I, I'll buy that <coughs> description of life forming.
1: That's the most likely environment. The trouble now, I mean, a lot of people uh, wonder, well, so why is it not happening today, then? Um, why is what not happening? Why are we not having life forming at the bottom of the oceans right. all the time? Uh, and, and the problem now is that the world's full of oxygen, which we need to breathe and animals generally, but actually it's... um, Deadly. It's deadly to to small cells, but it also blocks the kind of organic chemistry that you want to happen. I mean, what you want, really, is hydrogen to react with, say, carbon dioxide to make organic molecules. But if you've got hydrogen and oxygen together, they effectively explode. By an organic
0: (laughs) molecule, you mean a molecule that contains carbon, inevitably?
1: Yes, I think so. Okay,
0: But carbon dioxide isn't an organic molecule.
1: No, an organic molecule, by definition, has a hydrogen bound onto the a carbon.
0: You mentioned the porous rock. Yeah. Now, this just comes back to this, this term, last universal common ancestor, Luca. Yes. <coughs> can, you, just, can you talk about that a bit, because that's really yeah. frightening and interesting.
1: It's, it's, th- this is one of the great things about science, actually. Um, we can try to, you know, we can construct a, a hereditary tree of our own ancestors going back, but we can also do it with life, and we can compare, now, whole genome sequences, and we can try to build a tree of life. And it's not an easy thing to do because it goes back an awful long way, but what you end up with is two great groups of bacteria on one hand, and then on the other hand a group that looks exactly the same as bacteria, they're called archaea. Okay. And, um, and the common ancestor of all of life appears to have been the ancestor of those two groups. Right. And those two groups, well, they have a lot in common. They look the same, they're the same size, they, they look like the same bricks, in effect. But when you look closely at the chemistry of the bricks, it turns out that they're actually really different. Mm-hmm. So the archaea, well, they, they're, they're, most of their information processing is the same. They have the same DNA, the same genetic code. Uh, they make proteins in the same way. But they copy their DNA in a completely different way. So replication, how to make a copy of your own genetic information, is completely different in the bacteria in the archaea. And you think, well, so what did the ancestor do? And, and it's not obvious at all what the ancestor did. It certainly had DNA, yeah. and it must have been able to make copies of it, but it's certain they, they do it very differently. Yeah. And it's not just that. The membranes, which I've been saying are so important, that surround the cell, they're completely different in the bacteria and the archaea. And the cell wall... I mean, an awful lot of the chemistry is really different. So you you try and reconstruct what kind of a cell was this, and it didn't have a modern membrane, and Mm. it didn't have a modern cell wall, and it didn't do DNA replication. Mm. So you have this paradox, really. Of what was it? Well, I think it was a rock. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I think if you you see the original cells as as being inside those pores... Yes. uh, ..then an awful lot makes sense. Now... No, that's a So I don't want to be too Daily Mail
0: reporter, <laughs> but the last common, last universal... You're suggesting the possibility of the last universal common ancestor of life being a porous rock.
1: yeah? Essentially, yes. Yeah. I mean, with lots of organic molecules inside it, but uh, yes, in, in a vent at the bottom of the ocean, yes. Yeah,
0: the kind of thing you're talking about now. And, and, and in fact, you don't see... You know that doesn't necessarily in any way denude it of wonder. In fact, it's extraordinary.
1: It, it is. Mm. Um, I mean, the extraordinary thing about it, uh, apart from it, it's just such a difficult thing to get your head around, the, the idea, I mean, a rock is an inanimate object, how can it possibly be the, <laughs> the beginning of life? Um, but it's, it's not. I mean, it's, bringing it back around to the, the, the theme here, what's the difference between life and death? Mm. Um, it's... Essentially, it's living, so being able to process all this information is about energy flux through a particular structure. Okay, and so that structure now is cells, but that structure then, you have the same energy flux yes. through the same structure, it's okay. just that it started out as being inorganic.
0: So if we, if we accept that that's a really interesting pr- premise with a lot of in evidence attached to it, what then, moving, taking this to the other end, what is it? Why? And what is it? To, for life to die?
1: That's a really hard question. Um, and, and it's one of those things, you know, working on the origin of life, you think, okay, so w- when, when have you got something that's living? Yeah. Uh, how, how can you kill it? <laughs> um, and, and it's... I mean, one thing which is obvious is that there is a whole continuum of steps along the way towards a living cell. When would a living cell die? I think it's when that energy flow ceases. And in ourselves, that energy flow ceases. So I was talking about this charge on, on the mitochondrial membranes equivalent to a bolt of lightning. When that goes out, um, then I think that unless, unless it's revivable, then, then, then that mitochondrion is dead. Right. And for each cell, which has hundreds of mitochondria, you know, there's some phase shift that a lot of them will go out at the same time. And of course, we're made of you know 40 trillion cells or something, and some organs, you know, different cells will die at different moments. And in the end, again, there's a threshold. But it's, there isn't a single moment for a mitochondrion or for a cell or for a, a tissue or for, for an organism. It's when the, the function of the parts are unable to sustain the function of the whole is the moment of death. So for
0: complex life from that description, yes.
1: death is happening perpetually? Uh, yes, I mean, our own cells are dying all the time, but we're also producing new cells mm-hmm. all the time. So it's really that balance between producing new cells and, uh, and the, the old ones dying. And the, 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 the really interesting part is, well, why can't we live forever then? Because mm-hmm. we can, you know, replace mm-hmm. all cells in, in principle, mm-hmm. and in which case there'll be no need for, for death, mm-hmm. you might say. Uh, the cells which are hardest to replace are neurons. Right. Um,
0: differentiated, are so very differentiated cells, specialised Yes,
1: cells. and all our experience resides in, in the structure of this neuronal network, of all the synapses, everything that we do and that we learn is, is built into a three-dimensional network structure. Mm. And if you were to take out this neuron, which has 10,000 connections, or maybe more than that, with other neurons, you're taking a little bit of your... Self away. Mm. Um, And if you try and replace all of them, I mean, I think it's probably borderline impossible to do that. So what we actually do is keep all those neurons alive for 120 years if you live that long. Um, So the complexity
0: of the life mandates
1: death? I think so. So simple organisms, multicellular animals like Hydra, for example, effectively are immortal. It doesn't mean they can't die, they, you know, if you drop a bus on it, it's going to die, but it's, it's, um, it's able to reproduce its parts continuously, because it's basically a simple structure.
0: But it's no longer the same hydra, or is it?
1: Well, I don't know. Right. <laughs> it's got the same shape. Mm. I mean, this is, the, you know, the old Greek question about, is it the same river? It's very mm. much the same question with, with, with living things. But for, 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 for our own brains, it really is the same structure. Yes.
0: So death, therefore, is inevitable for human beings.
1: I think death is inevitable for evolution to happen at all.
0: Oh, talk about that!
1: Um, well, uh, you know, if 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 natural selection is the survival of the fittest, um, then it also implies the death of the non-fittest, if you like. Mm. You, you've got... I mean, to, to have this whole fabric of life around us has required an awful lot of death, which is not a particularly human way of seeing it, but mm. it's its what's responsible for the glories of life on the planet. Um, and all of that... death is... Um, is to do with the requirement for, for reproducing. So, if something has made copies of itself and, and then dies and, and, and somehow, by putting more effort into making more copies of yourself and dying sooner, that will get selected over and above something which says, I want to live forever oh. and I'm going to just keep on living and then someone drops a bus on your head uh, and, and that's it. You've not left any copies of yourself. So immortality
0: so, would be selected against in favour of sex yes.
1: and yes. sex. So, I mean, evolution is all about re- reproduction, sex and yeah. more sex, yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that,
0: that the selectional pressures continue to be a reality that's it's not as if evolution has
1: plateaued no not at all no. no no i mean it's it always was and it still is about about copies and actually you know having children of my own uh, and having watched my grandparents die um, it's one of the few things that seems to make life worthwhile is, is seeing it continue, seeing it go on, seeing you know, children, often very young children, um, you know, unable to comprehend that their grandmas just died, but, but, but by continuing being themselves, being young, learning about things, it, it makes life tolerable, actually, I would say, for a, for a lot of us. It's, it's where I look for my own personal meaning.
0: And in a moment, I'm just going to open this up to the audience. I just wondered if you might just comment briefly, as an evolutionary biochemist, Yeah. and we've had these conversations, I don't want to put you on the spot in a crowd of some medics, but the, you know, we, we wondered whether some of medical research feels somewhat scattered, and um, lots of data anyway, lots of data. So oncology is a good example, mm. huge amounts of data where... You know, we're talking about cellular processes, coming up with data interventions. Yet, we just wondered whether, in fact, not housing it in evolutionary paradigms might lead to something that is folly. For example, you know, we talked about not necessarily allowing immortality, but allowing good health in old age. And that felt like a tenable proposition. Medically. I,
1: I think that what we are doing as a society is um, spending a, a, a fortune on trying to cure or prevent specific diseases, whether it's cancer or Alzheimer's disease. Mm. Um, and there's an underlying process underneath all of them. They are mostly age-related diseases. Some people get them early, but for the most part... Um, you know, pe- people get cancer in their 50s and 60s rather than earlier on. That's the majority. And, um, and so they're age-related diseases and, and they're all linked to getting older. And getting older is linked to energy flow and, and the questions we've been talking about. And there, there's an increasing interest in it, uh, can we do something about this underlying ageing? Um, and it's very difficult, I think. But it's, you know, at an evolutionary level it seems to be amazingly easy. So we live a lot longer than chimpanzees, but it was only six million years ago or something that we, we, we shared a common ancestor with, with, with chimpanzees. Um, we now live twice as long as they do. Uh, you know, if you look at a bird, for example, a, a pigeon and a rat, they're about the same body size, they have about the same metabolic rate. If you were just to say, you know, on, on that old relationship of heartbeats, that they should have the same number of heartbeats, they should live about the same time. Uh, well, a pigeon lives ten times longer than a rat. <laughs> um, and it's to do with it being able to fly. And we can, we can, see, these, we can see these evolutionary relationships. Um, but what it looks like is, uh, it's surprisingly easy to, do some, to, to change lifespan. Um, now, I'm not sure that it will be very easy to change our own lifespan beyond the lifespan of a neuron, but I think we can certainly change health span, if you like, and that should have a knock-on effect on all of these age-related diseases. Now, it's, I'm not saying anything particularly radical here, but I'm not sure how popular it is, because there's a, there's a, a, a dislike of treating ageing as a disease. It's not a disease. Um, But it is linked to all these conditions. And I I do think that we should be spending more time (coughs) thinking about, well, what does evolutionary biology and comparative physiology, why is it that birds live so much longer? Why is it that a queen bee can live for 30 years, whereas the worker bees live for just a few months very often? Their lifespan is amazingly plastic Mm -hmm. in evolution. And we're not bringing enough of that in to medical research, in my opinion.
0: Thank you. Good time for the lights up. <coughs> okay. So I'm going to resist the temptation to pick up the doctors in the crowd and ask <coughs> biochemical questions. <laughs> have we any questions? At all. We have one uh, down here in the middle from Nigel. Hi, thank you. Uh, fascinating, and has left me with more puzzles than answers. Mm-hmm. The title is life. Um, You've talked about, and I understand a lot more from what you've said about the structure of cell, but in the same way as doctors spend a lot of time looking at CT scans that tells us about structure but not function. Mm -hmm. What is it that defines that collection of structures of having a life and a process or desire to reproduce? And then you look at what is the definition of us, which is human life. We are users of such complex multicellular systems. So your desire to reproduce is completely Eons away from a cellular desire to reproduce, and so I'm not quite certain <laughs> what my definition is of life here. For us desire, you, know. you talk about desire as thermodynamics quite a lot, actually. Mm. So desire, the it's, nature of desire. It's, it's very right.
1: hard to know where it comes from. There's a, I mean, my, one of my favourite quotes on it is uh, from Francois Jacob, who said that the dream of every cell is to become two cells. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not sure that I can go beyond that. I mean, it, 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 it is a statistical thing. <laughs> that if you leave more copies of yourself, uh, then there will be more of you. <laughs> therefore, uh, y- y- you will survive and other things that don't leave copies of themselves will get wiped out. And so it gets built into the very fabric and structure of, of natural selection, that things that make copies of themselves do better. Statistically, there are more of them, and therefore those are the ones that dominate. And so. Yes, it's different at the level of a single cell making a copy of itself in a human being, but it's true of all organic, all, all life, that, that we want to make copies of ourselves. I mean, the interesting thing about sex is it's not a, it's not a straight copy, it's not a clone. Um, you know, it's been a, a big question over the entire 20th century. And it may not what, result in why copies. Why yeah. No, it doesn't so, result in um, a, a copy. It re- results in something which is very different to either of the parents. Nigel's say, well, not why happy did, why answer, does any
0: cell then want to reproduce itself? What gives this collection of structures Nigel, yeah, a desire yeah, to reproduce? I may ask you to pick up with Nick after, mm-hmm. is that all right? And are there any other questions? At all? If not, we'll have to go back to Nigel's question. <laughs> uh, yes. At the top there? Oh, thank
1: you. Simply growth, I think. I mean, cells will, will almost automatically divide in two just as a matter of growth rates. Uh, certainly, very simple cells. So, do. division is statistically likely, yes. At the top?
0: Going back about uh, five or ten minutes, I think, to the discussion about the vents, um, I just want to check that I've understood this correctly. Did you say something along the lines of um, evolution would select against immortality in terms of any individual organism?
1: Um, Certainly, in terms of uh, of complex organs, yes, we have a. It's just up there, yeah. Oh right, sorry. That's right. Um, we we could no doubt live for much longer, but there is po- positive selection for, if you like, focusing our resources. So you you, you could you, let's assume that we have a, a you know a finite amount of resources and it's not quite as simple as that but you can spend them either on reproducing yourself or on living longer Uh, and to a degree there's a choice between those two things so the one that says i don't care about living longer i'm going to i'm going to focus all of my um, metabolic efforts on, on on you know becoming as as kind of uh, sexy as I possibly can, and leave as many kids as I possibly can, and do it all now, and wear myself out by the age of forty, and, that, and that's it. Um, you know, if I if I succeeded in doing that, and, and I have ten kids or something, um, then you know that's that's that works for natural selection. It doesn't work in a society all that well, probably, but it, it works. That's what selection's interested in. That's why rats do really well, and so on. Um, uh, and so, yes, there is, there is a point at which, uh, which natural selection effectively says, we don't care about your body, we only care about uh, how well you've reproduced yourself in this time. And, and for, for humans, that's actually been prolonged somewhat, because we have very long childhood development. Parents are needed, we don't just leave our children to fend for themselves, we spend decades looking after them. And grandparents, again, are very important, and, and so on. So. Selection has operated slightly differently, and it can do different things. But um, yeah, and as as a rule, it selects against long lifespan and in favour of uh, compression of resources into the smallest possible time to make as many copies of yourself as you can.
0: <coughs> we have one at the top there, two at the top, and one at the bottom. Can we should we go down here first? Thank you, and then up there. Thank you. Um, but I'm, I'm sure this is really simplistic, but the idea that the vents created a situation where you had a unit that could, where energy went across, how did that combine with a situation in simple terms of thinking about DNA and, and reproduction so that you then have the two things together?
1: I think um, the, the bottom line for for DNA and for replication and for making copies of yourself is you need to grow. You need to constantly make more material. So, you know, one cell becomes two cells, that's twice as much material. Um, for, for DNA to copy itself, it's twice as much material. So the, the first thing under, underpinning all of that is you need some driving force which is capable of making all that material. And I think that driving force had to come before DNA copying, for example, or any, any replicator, because if, any rep, if, it, if it costs energy and it costs material to make a copy of yourself, then there has to be something making those building blocks. And, and that's still energy. I mean, this, this flow of energy, you know, it's, in it's one sense, so basic. We all know if we put a plastic bag over our head, we'll be dead in a couple of minutes. It's, it's really that basic. Um, and, and you need that flow, and what, what these vents give you is this structure and continuous flow that can make organic molecules. Eventually, it should make things like DNA. These are all testable questions, but they're not easy so to test. So in fact,
0: pre-DNA, there was selection towards it in terms of making replica, replica that were true.
1: I think there's two processes. Natural selection is about making a more or less strict copy of yourself yeah. and then comparing all these copies. and effectively wiping out all the bad ones. Um, but there's another process which is, which is about producing things, which is funneling of energy and matter to, and that's about, that's about thermodynamics, it's about energy flux it's about why reactions happen the way that they do and, and, and so it's not anything to do with natural selection it's but you, you end up with some products are favored over others mm. if this is stable for example it's more likely to last mm. if it's happen, if it if it if it's formed faster than that product is more likely yeah, to accumulate stable.
0: okay final question thank you from the top I was wondering if, that, if, if you could comment on the how this relates to the um, law of thermodynamics and the conservation of energy, which just strikes me—the idea that you know that that energy can't be created or destroyed. Does that apply just to within chemical reactions, and what does that mean for the mortality of a cell? Uh,
1: that's quite a question. Um, the um, so. In in terms of conservation of energy, that's always the case. But it depends on the size of the system that you're dealing with. And when I'm talking about these vents, we're dealing with a planetary system where the inside is very different to the outside. So the inside is full of, effectively, electrons. It's full of iron and things like that. The outside is relatively poor in electrons. And that comes about as a result of gravitation and and, and gravitational collapse. So the iron ends up in the centre. So we have a, a planet, which is a little bit like a cell, in the sense that it's different on the inside and the outside, and that tension is what's driving things. And so the planet, you could see a geologically active planet as being alive, in in some sense, um, in the sense of energy flow. So that's part of it. Then uh, the second part is what's actually going on. Why do we get structures where there were no structures before, which a lot of people worry that this somehow contravenes the second law of thermodynamics that says everything should tend towards chaos and disorder. Um, And it doesn't actually at all. So we know that soap bubbles form spontaneously because that's a stable structure, that's what they do. We see exactly the same thing with cell-like structures, with membranes. And actually, what it's doing, if if you have an oil slick on water, they don't mix, they're immiscible, the oil will float on top because the oil doesn't like the water, it's hydrophobic, and so you have interactions between the oil and between the water. And it's essentially, that is the most stable state, because as oil molecules interact with themselves, um, you know, it it actually releases energy, because it's more energetically favorable for them to sit together, and that releases a little bit of energy as heat into the surrounding. And that heat makes the, the water surrounding it bubble around a little bit faster, it's more chaotic and disordered. And so the same thing is going on with cells. You put fatty acids, mix it up with water. If you've got the concentration high enough, they will spontaneously form cell-like vesicles. And, and that releases energy because that's a more stable state. And so overall, entropy disorder has actually increased through the release of heat. So it's a very common misconception to think that, uh, that life is actually more ordered than... You crush everything up in a test tube, shake it all up what's the entropy change? It's actually not very much if you consider the system as a whole there's almost no entropy change Does that answer any of the questions?
0: <laughs> uh, we, we do have to stop there I, genuinely uh, extraordinarily um, astonishingly bright and really lovely man um, <laughs> really lovely man so thank you, thank you to Nick Lane <laughs> thank, thank you so much So we head off that one.